Anyway, it's, it's great to be here, and I love Paul. Isn't he a great man? Yeah. What a heart. What a heart. And so here's a man who has a great desire to love and serve and impact students at Chico State, but also the whole world. And so he's having an influence and impact way beyond uh, your lives and your campus. And so um, I'm honored to know you, brother. I'm honored to, to be here with you. And um, thanks for inviting me. Uh, I wanted to uh, <clears throat> uh, introduce my family. <coughs> my wife is Carol. Can you tell which one she is? Uh, she's in the middle there. We've been married 36 years next, next month. And then we've got five kids. These slides are a little bit wide, aren't they? Boy, they put some weight on me in that slide. Um, we have five kids, and now we have six grandkids. And so number six is little Henry. Just got a picture of him just a little while ago. My, 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 her name is Mamo. Our grandparents' name is Mamo and Dado. <laughs> Pastor Gary, what's your, what's your granddad name? Papa. Papa. Ooh, I like that. I like that. Um, and so we now have six grandkids. And um, now, <clears throat> three of my kids are married. Ladies, one of them, one of the male sons is not quite married yet. And, and, and not quite married. No, no, he's not married. <laughs> How do you be not quite married? Um, but the reason I accepted to come to this conference is because I felt like that there was a woman here. Come on, ladies. Any single ladies here? Well, it's Trey right there. He's 6'4", 240, good-looking, full-time campus minister. So if we're going to have interviews at the break, if you don't mind, if you don't mind. Now, uh, I'll talk to you privately about that. But now I have another single daughter, 24-year-old KK, that we adopted from the country of Ukraine. Uh, our, um, our family spent a, almost a year in Ukraine working with college students there. And uh, we brought home a little bonus when she was two years old. Now she's almost 25. And uh, she's single, but um, don't you guys get near her? Because I'm, I'm, I'm packing. I'm packing. No, she's... Uh, she warms my heart, warms my heart. So that's my family. We live in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Anybody ever been to Arkansas? Why? Why'd you go to Arkansas? No, no. No, it's a, um, it's a beautiful state, a beautiful state, and we love it. I grew up in Dallas, but uh, we've been spending our adult life, it seems like, in Arkansas. So uh, anyway, that's kind of our... And we live on kind of a farm, uh, as you can tell, some of the acreage behind us there. So Paul's been there and helped me feed the chickens, the shad pad. A <laughs> <clears throat> couple, of, couple of ministries that I've been associated with for a number of years, uh, student mobilization, Paul mentioned that, <coughs> excuse me, and then the traveling team. Will you write that website down? I know you all are taking notes, I can tell. Uh, that really encourages me that you, you're taking notes. It may, it may just be your grocery list, but I wouldn't know, Brittany, right? Uh, you know, you'd fool me. But um, 
You know, that old Chinese proverb, weak ink is better than a strong memory. You better write that down or you forget that proverb, okay? Um, yeah, so, so take notes. I know you have been. Uh, and there may or may not be something worth writing down, but, you know, be, a, be, be, be aware that there might be. But that travelingteam.org, I, I just, for 20 years, we've been packing that thing just, just with all kinds of tools and resources and articles and videos and, and amazing stuff on how do you develop your heart for the nations? How do you take things and, and start to develop those around you? And so I've really never come across a site. Well, it's, it's our site, but, um, but that it really is, um, is jam-packed with things to help you build your own world vision, but also build those around you that you're trying to help and disciple and develop a heart for God and a heart for the nation. So anyway, those two ministries are near and dear to my heart. I, what I've been doing the last number of years is, is just Center for Mission Mobilization. I can't seem to start organizations without the word mobilization in them, Paul. It's a real problem. It's a real problem. And, uh, and so that's, that's really what we do there is we're trying to engage, equip, and connect believers worldwide uh, to their most strategic role in completing the Great Commission. And so we have staff in 20 countries, but our headquarters is right there in Fayetteville. So if you come through Arkansas, would you come visit us sometime? God just gave us a great new international headquarters. It's only a mile from the campus, and uh, it's just a beautiful place. I'm anxious to show it to you, Paul. Um, but we, we, we do all kinds of things around the world. And one of the funnest things is we do, we have these global mobilization consultations. This, was, this is actually one in Nairobi. We were just talking about Nairobi. We're about to have one in San Paulo, Brazil. And all of our staff comes together and they recruit all the, all the various mission mobilizers from those surrounding countries to come join us to just strategize, to pray on how in the world can we help ignite mission movements in this country, in this country, in this country, in this country. In this country. And so we hope to have 50 countries represented there at San Paulo here coming up. And that's what's on our heart is how do we complete what is on God's heart? How, how do we have on our heart what is on God's heart? And he loves the world, doesn't he? He loves the world. He loves the nations. And he wants us to love them too. And he wants us to give our life in whatever form or fashion that looks like in your, your situation to, uh, to join him. So that's what we're going to talk about the next couple of days, really joining God in, his, um, in this grand adventure of getting the gospel to every person on the planet. Now, Paul mentioned this, <coughs> excuse me for my coughing, but will you write that website down, campusministry.org? And if you're involved in campus ministry, and I have this funny feeling you are, if I know Paul Wooster, I have this funny feeling that some of you are sharing your faith. Uh, some of you are leading Bible studies. Some of you are interested in making disciples. Uh, we've been packing this thing out for years and years, and if you'll just just subscribe to that uh, every week, we're sending you all kinds of re resources and tools. I think it's a Monday morning. You wake up Monday morning. Here's here's my new little gem this week that I'm going to get to apply to my life or my ministry. I think we have about five thousand that are that are following it right now. So it's a great great deal. So <clears throat> now Paul uh, goes way back. You know he's he's much older than he looks. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and, and I, just, I just got back from, uh, from Glen Airy, and this is the Great Hall. Has anybody been in the Great Hall? Gary, you have? Okay, I see that, I see that hand. Thank you. Um, well, this is, um, this is an early uh, OUBCM um, 
men's conference, and there's Paul. I, what, what were you doing with that, that suit, that dark suit, Paul? You, everyone else kind of had the open collar look, and he had the suit on. It was real interesting, and, uh, and so that's where I was the last four days is, is three days talking in, in, the, in the great room at Glen Airy, and then I found some old archive shots of Paul. Uh, you've, really, you've, you've really lost some weight there. That's good. Uh, I mean, since then, you've lost weight since then, so I'm, I commend you. I, I put on some, so... Um, and the, but, then, but then later he kind of had a transformation a little bit. Um, he kind of was trying to be culturally sensitive. What, was that the 80s or the 90s or what do you think that was, Paul? 90s. 90s. What was your favorite song during that time? I sense that you had, you had your little diskette there. Oh, Ice Ice Baby. Okay, Vanilla Ice. I like it. <coughs> well, Paul is much older than he looks. Well, I get the privilege of giving some, some talks. Hope that's okay with you guys. And I hope it's more of a sharing than a preaching. I'm not really a preacher. I'm not really a teacher. Uh, I'm just kind of an exhorter. You know, I'm just trying to say, how can we? I'm preaching to myself, really, is what I'm doing. Okay? I even read my own I read the fuel and the flame myself, and I say, do I still believe this? <laughs> really? Uh, I mean, I, and my wife goes, what are you? I'm up at late at night reading it and going, well, I'm just trying to see if I'm still living out what I'm supposedly telling other people to do, you know? And so I don't want to be a hypocrite, do you? I guess we all are a little bit. You know, how, what, what is that Hippocratic gap, you know, is what I say and what I live. And I'm saying, oh, Lord, please help me to be in private what I supposedly proclaim in public, right? And so that's true of all of us. And so, um, so you've got a handout, so I'm, I'm going to get started. Do you mind just getting started on that? And so we're... we're <clears throat> we're taking some of these things from the fuel and the flame, if that's okay, and uh, and maybe it's some. Thank you so much. You got anything stronger? Uh, no, no. <laughs> just oh, Baptist. That's right. Sorry. No, just stronger for me is root beer. I promise. No, I don't think so, Shadrach. I saw you the way you drink that water. No. They don't even allow alcohol in Arkansas. Okay. We're going to talk about our convictions, okay? We're going to talk about our convictions. That's a place to start as a foundation. We're going to talk about ministry involvement and things, but it's got to start here inside our own hearts, doesn't it? It's really got to start here. And really, college is the time to build your foundation, I promise you. Don't, don't kind of just skip over and slide over the opportunities you have to build a deep, abiding foundation in Christ. I wish I could repeat the conversation I had with you yesterday with an old friend, uh, a coffee I had with an old friend last week, um, a couple of phone calls with a couple of old friends the week or two before. <coughs> Their lives are falling apart. They, they were, they're Christians, but that, that foundation is not strong enough in big cracks huge cracks in their life, their great successful life and, and all the Christian emphasis and involvement they'd had over the years is just falling apart. Now's the time to build a foundation. And a foundation is made up of convictions. And so a belief is something you might argue for. You say, um, you know, the word belief kind of has a, a weak sound to it sometimes. You think it's going to rain out today? Well, I believe it will. 
But a conviction is different. A conviction may very well be something you may be willing to die for. And so really, when someone says, well, do you believe in Bible study? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, no, that may be a belief, but a conviction is, do I do Bible study? Convictions are what we do, see. So how about you? How are your convictions? This idea of exchanging your life, um, I think about that a lot. That year in Ukraine that we spent, uh, these people were really desperate people. The, the Ukrainians, we love the people, but they, they were working, you know, 70, 80, 90, seven days a week from, you know, daylight to, to, to midnight, it seemed like. <coughs> Sometimes for just just pennies, just pennies, just pennies, and they would you know work and work and work, and then they'd go to one of these currency exchange huts. Have you ever seen one of those in another country? And, and they would trade in all these grivna. That was the that was the particular uh, you know currency at that time, <laughs> and uh, and they a big big stack of grivna, you know, for one one hundred dollar bill, and that was huge for them. They wouldn't dare put it in the bank. They'd go and put it under their bed. And that was their security. How many hundred-dollar bills did they have? They were exchanging, you know, their entire life, I could tell, for a hundred-dollar bill. That was so obvious to me. And I'm thinking, what am I exchanging my life for? What am I exchanging my life for? You know that passage in Matthew 16. It says, what will a man, you know, give in exchange for his soul? Will he forfeit his soul? What are you exchanging your life for? Have you thought about that? A lot of it has to do with what are we putting into our life. What, what is it? What, what is it? Our treasure chest. You know that that Psalm 119 verse that I bet some of you have memorized. How can a man keep his way pure by keeping it according to Thy word? Thy word I have what hidden, or another word is treasured in my heart. Why? so that I may not sin against thee. And so what if you were to view your heart as a treasure chest? And you're going to put things in that treasure chest. That will either be very good and godly and valuable things that will help you, that you really truly are exchanging your life for, or we could be hiding things in that treasure chest that will destroy us, that will ruin us. What is in your treasure chest? Where a man's treasure is, there is his heart also, is what Matthew 6 says. <clears throat> so your treasure chest. What I want to talk about here for a few minutes <clears throat> is some building blocks for your life and ministry. And I'm no builder. Any, any builders out here, anybody that's kind of done construction out there, you've done a little bit of construction, you know, okay. Did you ever uh, lay a foundation you know, we had to really dig it out deep, and then you start the blocks and you the mortar and all that, you know. I remember buying a house in Fayetteville, and I didn't really check to see what the foundation was like. Well, it had no foundation. Oops. And so I remember I had to have this contractor come in with a huge, you know, he dug out these huge 10-foot deep, and he had to build this incredible foundation to support this house, you know, that we were expanding and all. Foundations are important, friends, and these are seven building blocks that will help you if you'll give yourself to these. Uh, I think it will really uh, pay off for you 
uh, in later life. It really will. I know you want to have a future that is honoring to God, and, and these convictions will make a big difference. And so um, the first one is this, a devotion to Jesus Christ. I'm not really talking about your devotional life right now. Your devotional life flows out of your devotion to Christ, right? But start with that devotion piece. That word devotion, if you look it up in, in the dictionary, it, it means an unswerving adherence to. I'm not going to go to the left. I'm not going to go to the right. An unswerving adherence to the person of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> you know, I really don't have anything but Jesus. I mean, at this point in life, I, I've, I've, I've tried everything just about. There is to find satisfaction in thinking out somehow that might bring me happiness or that might bring me satisfaction. But Psalm 73, 25, and 26, you might write that verse down. I, this kind of has become my life verse, and it, it really just, it really is just dealing with the simplicity of being linked to Christ as really the only thing in life. And it says, whom have I in heaven but thee, and besides thee, you know this one, Noah, besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail. No, no, it, it, uh, it will fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. And I'm telling you, there are times through college, beyond college, that I've been hit with something that just, 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 just knocks me down. Uh, discouragement, depression, rejection, you know, betrayal. Sometimes I, I remember a couple of nights I walked around campus all night long just in a daze because I just was so diswrought. And the only verse I could hang on to, the only verse I'd repeat over and over again to somehow give me hope. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And besides thee, I desire nothing on earth. Think about that verse, would you? Isn't that a good one? I don't know what your life verse is, but that's one of mine, you know. So I'm, uh, I'm hoping to stay connected to this person named Jesus Christ. And so there I was in college, and, uh, and, and I was in a fraternity house. Don't try that yourself, okay? Just, just you know, I, I lived in there for three years, and it was the greatest growth experience I've ever had in my life, and I got to kind of start sharing Christ with all my fraternity brothers. I was, I was the most loved and the most hated person at the same time. That was a weird experience. You know, the most loved and the most hated <laughs> what happened here? I wanted everybody to like me, you know? That was before the days of social media, you know? I would have had all these likes, you know, all these followers, come on, you know? <laughs> Mr. Popularity. But I was sharing the gospel with my fellow fraternity boys. And some of them didn't like that very much at all. You know, I took somewhat of a comfort because wasn't Jesus the most loved person ever, also the most hated person ever? So I felt like I was in pretty good company. <laughs> you can tell a lot about a person by who loves them and who hates them. I don't like to be hated, by the way. But I'm telling you, if you are devoted to Jesus Christ, especially in this culture where we are living right now, if you are saying that I am devoted to the only God, 
the only true God, the truth in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, there's going to be people that will hate you if you're open about that. I pray that you are. So Luke 6.46 was on the top of my bunk there where every night I would look before I'd go to bed and every morning when I'd wake up, <coughs> Luke 6.46, Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and what? Do not do what I say. So I, you know, I, 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 I can't call him my Lord unless I'm willing to obey him. That old A.W. Tozer quote some of you are familiar with, if Jesus is not Lord of all what? He's not Lord at all. That's exactly right. And so um, let me move from Paul here. Can I get off you, Paul? Uh, that, 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 uh, the chest hair is a little disturbing, brother. Is that still there or you, you lost that or okay? Okay. A little personal. Okay. I do like the gold chain. You still got that or? Okay, good. Well, you know what? Um, there's a little booklet that I still use today. It was the booklet that I came to Christ in. See, I grew up thinking I was a Christian there in Dallas. I mean, I had a mother. Uh, I went to church. Uh, I was an FCA. Uh, I ate apple pie. I mean, I, I wasn't a Buddhist. <laughs> Certainly I was a Christian. And so a guy befriended me. And something was different about his life. He was a college football player. I was hoping to, you know, play college football. That dream did not work out. But uh, he had, and I was impressed with him, not only just because of that, but that he claimed to be a Christian, I claimed to be a Christian, there was something different about the two of us. And he took me out to an airport one day to teach me how to share my faith. Total disaster. I thought I was some big tough guy, and I was shaking like a leaf. I, all I was supposed to do was write this guy's name down, and I was shaking so badly I couldn't do it. Now it's my turn to share. Oh, my word. It was terrible. It was a disaster. I picked the safest little 15-year-old kid I could find, you know. <laughs> it was terrible. It was, it was just. Uh, and there in the midst of me sharing with him, I realized that what? I was not even a Christian. My Christ was not in my life. So, gang, if you want to lead someone to Christ, maybe take a non-Christian out on evangelism. As they're sharing the gospel, boom, the Holy Spirit just racks them right there. What do you think? <laughs> want to try that? Work for me. And this little booklet, there's nothing magical about little booklets or anything. It's the power of the gospel, right? So my, my guy led me to Christ, started disciple me. He set up an appointment the very next day with another young, uh, an athlete that was a, a junior. I was a senior. And I just read this little booklet to him. I, did, I, I could read English, I mean, barely. But I, but I, I could read through the booklet with him. And there it is. Or, I, would you like to receive Christ into your life, you know? And he said, but I'm Jewish. <laughs> I hadn't had that apologetics class yet, you know, how to respond to that, Pastor, you know? I said, that's okay. And he prayed to receive Christ. And he really did. He really did. I mean, I, I knew nothing about follow-up. But I happened to see him eight years later, and he, sure enough, he came up to me and said, you don't remember me, do you? No, no, I remember you. He goes, I really did receive Christ. I really did start growing. And I married a Christian girl. Now I'm involved in this church. And, you know? Anyway, that was the sovereignty of God right there. But this is, this is part of the little material that man impacted my life when I was about your age. And so it, it describes two kinds of lives. In the first life, maybe you've seen this before. This may be familiar to, uh, material for you. 
But the self-directed life, this is the person's life, and that throne represents, you know, what's controlling you or who is controlling you. And so this person's self is on the throne. They're controlling their own life. They may know all about Christ like I did. I'd gone to Sunday school, baptism, catechism, what other isms. I, I did it all. But Christ was outside of my life. And so look at the interest in, my, uh, in that person's life. I mean, they're all in discord because they're trying to control it themselves. That was my story. I mean, my, my life was a wreck. I hit bottom, and I needed to turn it over to Jesus Christ. And so what I did is I, I, I moved from the self-directed life to the Christ-directed life, and, and I, I, took, I, I took self off the throne, and now I'm yielding it to Christ, putting him on the throne of my heart. Now he's in charge. He's my boss. He's my master. He's my Lord. And now he's in charge of the different areas of my life, and I'm telling you, things go a whole lot better. Do they not? Can you all attest to that? Everyone here has, at times, run your own life. Doesn't work out too well. But when you turn it over to him, now life's not, there's no guarantee for perfection. In fact, uh, sometimes, you know, all heck breaks loose when you really commit to, to the Lord. But where are you? How would you describe yourself tonight? I would think that most people are here, this Christ-directed life, but with a group this size, there's, there's got to be a few. Paul, will you stand up and kind of point out which ones they are? No, 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 no. I sense that maybe there's someone over here possibly, and no, no, I'm not that kind of, I'm not that kind of preacher, sorry. Oh, she liked that one, okay. <laughs> but look at these, which, which one would you say you are tonight, today? What would you say? At the end of my talk, I'm going to give you a chance to pray a prayer. There's nothing magical about the words of a prayer. It's not like there's some little magical little genie words, you know, formula that you, you know, and um, poof, you get to have your wishes uh, granted by God or something. No. It's like he's a doctor with a stethoscope, isn't he, on our hearts. And so, Lord Jesus, I want to know you personally. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sins. I open the door of my life and receive you as my Savior, as my Lord. Thank you for forgiving me of my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. This was the prayer, something like this, that I prayed when I was 18 years old. <clears throat> I didn't really feel like a Christian when I prayed that prayer. There was no goosebumps. I mean, there was no light from heaven. There was no liver quiver, you know. I mean, it just, you know, I, I felt sure there'd be some sort of a, you know, something. Goosebumps, you know, come on, something, Lord. And I had a decision to make. Each day was I going to make a decision to place my faith in my feelings, that caboose, or place my faith, this is the coal car in the little train diagram, place my faith in the word of God, the promises of God, what Jesus had said, that if I would put my trust in him, that I would be a child of God. Be thinking about that if you haven't ever really truly made that decision 
I may be praying that at the end of our time together, okay? Number two, number two of these building blocks. <clears throat> Before you can develop a relationship with Jesus Christ, you've got to have a relationship with him, right? And that's what we've been talking about. Do you have a relationship, an unswerving adherence to him? And so the second one is saturation with the word of God. Is that in your notes there? Saturation with the word of God. And I, uh, <clears throat> I don't know, friends, I, 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 I spend a lot of time with college students, college campuses. Uh, we, we're moving away from this. This is, this is the exception for Christians. Pastor, I don't know what you've observed, but I, I, I was at a very prominent Christian, speaking to prominent Christian college uh, recently, and a longtime Bible professor there pulled me aside, and he's, before I was speaking, he said, Steve, uh, in the early years, we had lots of students that uh, they believed in the Bible. They believed it to be the truth. They were basing their lives on this. Can I tell you now what they have placed higher than truth? You know what he said? Tolerance. They have placed tolerance above truth. And so the culture has just swept them along that they no longer are going to hold an anchor to the word of God, but whatever the culture says is right or wrong, they're going to make sure they're going to be tolerant to all those things. Friends, I think that's where a lot of folks are. There may be some people right here in our group here. You see, truth never changes, does it? Sorry, friends. Our culture is always changing. Think about the things that have changed just in your lifetime in our country, in our culture, and how it goes directly against the Word of God. So really, friends, you've got a decision. Either we're going <laughs> to cling to and, and hold on to this anchor, this truth, the Word of God, right, the truth, or we're going to let go and just flow right there with the culture wherever it's going to take us. That's a dangerous place to be, I think. Saturation with the Word of God. Do you believe the Bible is from the Word of God, from the Lord Himself? <clears throat> we talk to God through prayer, but He talks to us through His Word, right? And so that's 2 Timothy 3 16 and 17. You guys have memorized it. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness. What? That the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. <coughs> And so there's some different, you, you know the hand illustration. I don't need to, to, to go into these different little illustrations, some of them that you know so well to hear. What is your plan to continually, consistently hear the Word and read the Word and study the Word and, and memorize the Word and meditate as you hear and read and study and memorize? I got to spend some time recently with a young man that had been involved in our ministry, uh, I think 30, almost 35 years ago young African-American Razorback football player that uh, came from a totally non-Christian, dysfunctional, no father in the home situation there in Arkansas. But he came to Christ and started to grow. And uh, we started having him memorize scripture, something called the topical memory system. Have you all ever heard of that? Oh, really? Heard of that? Okay, excellent. And back then, it was only $5, you know. I mean, the whole, the whole packet was $5. And I said, I'll give you your $5 back if you memorize all 60 with the reference and the title, you know, cold. 
Well, there I am one night laying in bed, you know, midnight trying to sleep. You know, I, I bought a house, you know, that backs up to Fraternity Row. Don't try that yourself, you know. But here I'm sleeping, and all of a sudden I hear someone yelling on the front lawn, you know, Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified in Christ, you know, and, you know, I want my money back, you know, and then 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if, you know, I want my money. You know, finally I'm open the window. Who in the world is this, you know? Would you leave us alone, you know? Well, it was David. Oh, I gave him his money back. <laughs> Now it's a steak dinner. I take him out for a steak dinner, you know, up the ante a little bit. But I reconnected with David 35 years later, friends. He'd been a coach, high school and college coach his whole life. He had become a pastor as he's coaching at Arkansas State and then Auburn. He was an assistant Gus Malzahn for a number of years at Auburn. Everywhere planting a church as he goes, taking these African-American young athletes and the, the, other, uh, the, the others in the community there and starting these church. And as I'm talking with him, there's a depth in his life. You know, you, 35 years is a long time. You do a lot of changing in 35 years, don't you? There was this foundation in his life. He had given his life to eternal things. He'd had worldly success, but no, no, no. What was pulsating in his heart was the Word of God. That's what he wanted to get into the lives of these young men was the Word of God. I thought, I could see the topical memory system, Paul. I mean, I could see those 60 verses, the foundation he built in his life. It was being lived out year after year. Now, 35 years later, this man has a foundation that is deep as age 55. Don't underestimate the foundation you're going to build in the Word of God now, right now, friends, and how it's going to pay off down the road. This guy's marriage, this guy's family, this guy's ministry. Oh, man, it was amazing. Well, either the Bible will keep us from sin or sin will keep us from the Bible. Have you heard that before? That's true in my life. If I neglect the Word, boy, do I start wandering. If I'm in the Word, for some reason, it just, it just keeps these convictions lit in my heart, in my life. Number three. The third building block of this foundation that I'm hoping all of us will build into our lives is that we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. You see, everybody wants power. Have you noticed that? I, I don't really like the politics in our country at all. It's all about I want power. I want to take power away from you, you know. And, of course, we see it in sports. We see it in all the social media, you know, it's influence and power. And Golly, it just is overwhelming sometimes, isn't it, you know? It's all about me. But Psalm 62.11 says power belongs to God. That's where power comes from. And if power belongs to God, we better plug into the power source, shouldn't we? Let's not look for power from the world. Let's look to power from the source himself, God. And so when we come to Christ... I believe the Holy Spirit comes inside of us fully. That's what the scriptures teach. Not a portion, not a down payment, but, the, but, but God, the Holy Spirit, comes and lives within us. We're, we're now a temple, a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I just love Acts 1.8. It says, when you, <clears throat> but you receive power. You know this verse? The final thing Jesus said on earth? Final things are pretty important, aren't they? 
Think about the final things that people say on earth. That's pretty important. Why in the world there in Acts 1-8 would he say the final thing? But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Wow. I want that power, don't you? I don't want the world's power. You've sensed it. You've felt it. You've had the Holy Spirit filling you and empowering you at times. Isn't that a great feeling? It just, there's something about walking in the Spirit that just gives you a sense of great satisfaction and connection to God and, and victory over sin. And, 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 and you're not, and, and you're almost, it's almost like you're bulletproof from the, from the world and what it's trying to attack you, you know. Plug into this Holy Spirit. And you've got to do it on a daily basis. Whether or not you feel like the Holy Spirit is in you or leading you, that's beside the point, really, in some ways, right? This train will, will run with or without the caboose. So right before I came here, I said, oh, Lord, please fill me with your Holy Spirit. Did I have any, was there any angel from heaven that kind of confirmed that? Or did I have some little, you know, little something crawl up my leg or something, you know, or, you know, no, it just, I believed it. Ephesians 5 commands us to be filled with the Spirit. And so when I do sin, it's not that I lose my salvation, but fellowship with God is strained, is it not? You're always going to be your father's son. Yes. That relationship will never change regardless of what happens. Now, if you decide to go home and punch him in the nose, I know you're tempted occasionally. He's still your father. You're still his son. But the fellowship has been strained. What do you need to do? You need to confess that. Ask forgiveness and your fellowship can be restored. That's what 1 John 1, 9 teaches, right? That's how we can once again be filled with the Spirit, be controlled by the Spirit. If we confess our sins, it says, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so how do you be filled and stay filled and walk by the Holy Spirit? Please, some of us, or less feeling-oriented than the others. Some of you are more feeling. I wish I had more feelings in my life. My, actually, my young daughter is helping me with that. She's helping me operate from the heart more, not just from the head. You know, I need lots of help, ladies. That's right. But are you empowered every day by the Holy Spirit? By faith. It's a faith thing. It's not always visible. Number four. Number four, the fourth building block is that we're bonding. We're bonding with other committed believers. Like what you're doing right now. This is fantastic. Please don't choose as your very best friends those who are running from God, okay? I know some Christian ministries, it's really a holy huddle. I don't sense that here. They're afraid of non-believers, and they're just going to cling together, you know? And they want to go from, you know, place to place, early morning, you know, afternoon, night, you know, meeting to meeting, Bible study to Bible study, somehow to be unscathed by the world. They're back to their little rabbit hole, and I made it through the world without having to touch a non-Christian, you know. Yes. But this idea of bonding with each other, I call it saints gathering and saints scattering. Why don't you write that in there if you would? The saints need to gather. In conferences like this and ministries like this and churches like this, come together to encourage one another. Hebrews 
10, 24, and 25. You know that one, don't you? Who can quote that one for me? Nice and loud. But let us encourage one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. Excellent. Thank you. You have one sixtieth of a steak dinner coming to you. It's like a little portion of my roll or something from the dinner, okay? Is that, uh, <laughs> are you committed to gathering with other believers? What kind of believers are they? Okay, when I get to lead someone to Christ, I try to work hard to get them around a certain type of believer, and I pray like crazy to protect them from other kinds of so-called believers. I want them to think it's normal to have a daily quiet time. I want them to think it's normal to share their faith. It's normal to give to the church. It's normal to have a holy life. It's a normal to, you know. But you get around these Christians, oh, no, no I don't mean to, I'm sorry. Get around these Christians here, you know. Well, no, that, that, that's not part of their life. The idea of coming together to contribute to one another's life is so key. Especially when you graduate, friends. When you graduate, I wouldn't just take the highest, you know, Dell offered you 60000 to go to Austin or something and, you know, well, why'd you choose that? Well, I like the warm weather and it was a high salary. Well, that's, those are really powerful reasons, you know. I'd pair up with at least one other warrior for Christ and say, where are we going to go when we graduate? You know, where can we go to continue to get the kind of training that we've received? Where can we go to make the greatest impact we can? And then say, what job can we get in that city or that locale to team up and keep going what we've been operating and keep building that foundation? The other one is the saints scattered. Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. There's that concept. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor, right? So who's your partner? I want you to consider gathering one another, you know, to contribute to one another. But there's also a conquering strategy when you spread out. Spread out. So we have a map of the campus, you know, and we, we, we're going after every single affinity group on that campus. We're asking God for two laborers in every floor of every dorm, every fraternity, every sorority, every athletic team, every international group. We've even divided the, the band up into the different groups. Help me with what the different band groups are, y'all. Percussions, that sounds familiar. Winds, brass, strings. As you can tell, I'm a great musician. Uh, that's right. Well, you, you get the picture. And so this idea, and what I'm going to be sharing, and I know Paul and the staff have shared this, is don't just wander around campus looking at your campus as 10,000 individuals. Start viewing your campus as affinity groups, as unique groups of people, of networks of people, and start to pray and See if the Lord might use you in one of those groups to lead someone to Christ. And they become the person of peace, the entrance into that group. Number five, we're going to talk a lot about this, evangelizing the world. This is the fifth block, and I think you're, I think you're getting a lot of great training here. I think you're getting a lot of good emphasis on this. Friends, very few campus ministries across the country, across the world, get good, practical, regular diet of training 
an emphasis in this area. Uh, you, you, this is an exception. You are very fortunate, I promise you. Okay? I bet just about everybody in this room would know how to lead someone to Christ. If you'll have that tool with you at all times, the rest of your life, God's going to use you some amazing ways. And I've come, been thinking a lot about this the last two or three years. If I really love someone, I will care about their soul. Their soul. The condition and destination of their soul. If I, really, if I truly don't care about their soul, then can I really say I love them? What is it I love? Well, I love their appearance. I, I love their personality. I love their sense of humor. Oh, look at their hobbies. Their, you know. And so the greatest way I can show my love to someone is if I care about their soul. In fact, you probably be the only person that will ever care about that person's soul and risk the relationship enough to try to discover where they're at in their journey with God. Will you spend your life caring about people's souls? Someone attacked me once and said, the only reason you want to make a friend with this guy is because you want to witness to him and lead him to Christ. Duh! <laughs> it's the greatest act of love I could do for any human being on the planet to help reconnect them to their creator you're saying I'm doing it for bad motives? I think I have the ultimate motive. <laughs> Evangelizing the world, we're going to be talking a lot about this. But the need is so great right now, isn't it? John 4, 35, do you not say there yet four months, right? And then comes the harvest. Jesus said, no, 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 no. The harvest is so ready and so ripe, it's falling off right now. And so we talk a lot about friendship evangelism, but on most campuses, it's a whole lot of friendship and not much evangelism. That's right. And so, friends, um, if you truly believe John 14, 6, will you write that reference down? You know what that is. Who can quote John 14, 6? Someone maybe in this area here, possibly. John 14, 6. Maybe... Maybe in this area right here, possibly. Down on this row, maybe. Okay, nice and loud. Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Who said that? Jesus. Jesus. Whoa. <laughs> Do you believe that? Has it ever been tested? H has someone ever tested that for you i mean has everyone everyone they're going to reject you or they're going to somehow persecute you or maybe attack you or kick you out of some group or club or re reject you as a friend you're going to have that friends it's coming if it hadn't happened to you yet if you if you hold if you cling to that think about that i am the way i am the truth and i am the life no one. How exclusive is that? How intolerant is that? How politically incorrect is that? No one comes to the Father but through me. Are you going to hang on to that the rest of your life? Or are you going to let culture sweep you away? That's going to become very unpopular. It already is. 
is totally unpopular. It's, you're going to be tested if you hold to that. <clears throat> I had some chaplains at a Christian college that my wife and I had started a ministry on. We're sharing the gospel in the dorms. People were coming to Christ, starting small groups. And there's this little mini revival. I mean, when a, when a revival hits a campus, I mean, when a movement just takes root and it's led by the students, it's out of control. It's a spirit-controlled movement. This little 1,100-student liberal, liberal arts Methodist college in Conway, Arkansas was just out of control. The students loved us. You know who hated us? They despised us. The religion profs and the chaplains. And I'd go home at night and read the book of Acts. I was literally like in the book of Acts. It was so much fun. And these chaplains pulled me in their office one day, and they always shut the door, and their veins were sticking out, you know. And you could tell they were angry. They'd sit down, you know. They said, you're nothing but a religious exclusionist. I said, well, that doesn't sound very... Very nice, very complimentary. What, what do you mean by that? You believe there's only one way to God. Well, uh, John 14, 6 says, and I quoted John 14, 6. He said, that's your interpretation. I oh, know I just quoted the verse, that's all I did, you know. <laughs> and I said, I said, no, 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 that, that's what Jesus said. They said, for you to tell a student there's only one way, to, these are the chaplains of the school, friends. For you to to tell a student there's only one way to God and to, and to ask him to receive Christ into his life, that that's the only way for salvation, that's the most unchristian, unkind, unloving thing you can ever tell a person. And they wanted me to promise that I would never do that again. <laughs> I graciously declined. <laughs> You're going to be tested, though, friends. And if you can't, if you can't get past John 14, 6... I don't think you understand the cross. You don't understand the cross. Why Jesus came. You may not be a believer. If you can't understand and embrace and cling to John 14, 6 the rest of your life. Number six, multiplying your life. We're going to talk a lot about this. I won't spend much time on this, but the first command, Genesis 1, to be fruitful and multiply, right? I don't think it was just talking about physical reproduction. Then the, the fall came where they sinned, and, and then God was sorry that he even made man, but then, you know, the flood took place, and he wanted to start over. Guess what the very first command was when he started over after the, the flood? There in Genesis 9-1, to be fruitful and multiply. There it was again. He means it, friends. So don't get impressed with numbers. I don't, I'm not impressed with numbers anymore. I'm impressed with obedience. I'm impressed not with converts, but with disciples. It doesn't say make converts. It says make disciples. And so this, this week, I'm only with you for, I guess, two and a half days. And I know you've had some great speakers already. But I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you to leave this week and commit yourself to be a reproducer. Will you write that word down? A reproducer the rest of your life. Now, the chances <clears throat> that you reproduce your life after college if you don't do it as an undergrad are very, very slim. You say, Steve, you don't understand. I'm, 
I'm a hard studier. My parents want me to study hard, and I'm in a tough major. I really don't have time to do any ministry. And you know, you know, you give all kinds of. I understand about parents. I understand about studying. I understand about busyness. You know. But friends, if you don't lead at least one person to Christ <laughs> during your time here, follow them up and help them to become a disciple. You've reproduced yourself just one time. If you can do it one time, there's a chance that you can do it once you graduate and you move to Austin to work for Dell. I'll pick on Dell, do you mind? And, and Austin, I'll pick on Austin. But if you don't do it as an undergrad, you're not willing or able to do so. I'm not sure you're going to find a Paul Wooster out there. You're not going to find a, a church probably, uh, you know, a Pastor Gary or someone who has the, the, t the love for you, the time for you, to invest in you. The, 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 they, they would know how to train you to do this. It's almost non-existent out there. That's why, please, use this time <laughs> as, as, as wisely as you can. You know what I did? I stuck around college two extra years. My dad was not too thrilled. I wasn't finished yet. I'd been busy, busy, busy as a college student, witnessing, 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 Bible study, Bible study, Bible study. But I had not reproduced myself yet. So just because they say, well, you now can graduate and walk across the aisle and get your diploma and, you know, and, you know, you walk in, you know. I didn't care about that. I'm not even sure where my diploma is. I may not even gotten one. Probably didn't. <laughs> but I stuck around two extra years because I had these five guys that I had led to Christ, and I was following up on them and was establishing them. But I wasn't satisfied and just reproduced that. I didn't want them just to be discipled. I wanted to make sure that they could lead someone to Christ and disciple someone. You see what I mean? I wanted to reproduce myself, and four of them have gone on over the course of their life. Two of them have spent their last 40 years in China, doing, and their converts are spread around the, the continent. Their disciples are. I'm so glad I spent that extra two years. Number seven, perseverance over the long haul. Perseverance over the long haul. What's, what's going what's gonna to keep you in the battle? I'm 64 years old. I know I don't look a day over 63. And I ran a marathon once <laughs> with emphasis on once. I was a 24-year-old. I thought I was just a, you know, a Neanderthal. I thought I was just a warrior, indestructible. And I had promised my best buddy that I would run this marathon with him about nine months earlier. He really was a marathoner. But I'd been immersed in seminary, and I mean, the Greek was just eating my lunch. And I was just this little, pale, skinny, you know, seminary student that was just trying to hang on for dear life. And so the day came in February in Fort Worth, Texas, the Cowtown Marathon. 4,000 of us runners pouring down rain. And so we're lining up at the line here, okay? And uh, <clears throat> I, uh, I had forgot one minor detail as I was lining up for this 26-mile race. I had not trained one single day. <laughs> I thought, am I a man or am I not? Am I a man? You know, what, what, what's so tough about this? And so my buddies who were, you know, they were, 
they, they were, they were going to really run the marathon. They, they, their, statement, their final statement, Paul, was this. Now, Shad, whatever happens, what do you mean whatever happens? You know, <laughs> they, they could see the handwriting on the wall, I think. They said, whatever happens, keep your running form. Oh, that sounds pretty good. You know, keep your running form. I like that. That's good. Yeah. So anyway, and, and I didn't know anything about carving up. I mean, you know, I, it seemed, well, if I'm running a marathon, it seems like I want to keep my, my stomach kind of light. So I did a, a, a cup of coffee and a donut. Oh, so here I am, boy. And I mean, I'm sprinting out in front of everyone. I mean, to tell you, I'm out in front of 4,000 runners. I'm thinking, if you're going to run a marathon, come on, you know. Well, it wasn't 100 yards down the road that people were just passing me like crazy. <clears throat> I... Uh, I did not hit the proverbial wall, believe it or not, until the 22-mile mark. And those next four miles, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I kept my, my running, you know, my running, you know, what, what, was it, what they say, style, running, form, form, thank you. And so, you know, here, here I was, I was like, good. <laughs> and three different times, medics who were on bicycles were, 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 you know, riding against the flow of the crowd looking for, you know, distressed individuals. <laughs> Three different ones put their bike down, waded through the crowd, and grabbed me by the shoulders and said, are you okay? Are you okay? I, I couldn't speak. I couldn't speak, though. It wasn't that I was thirsty. is that I was so hungry, my, my body was literally eating itself, you know? Yeah. Had no, no due training there. You know, I had a lot of time. I finished the marathon. Oh, but it, yeah, no, no, please. <laughs> but it finished me. I mean, I mean, for weeks, I was walking around campus like a little old man like this. Every bone, every muscle. But I had a lot of time to think during all those hours. What a fool I was. Can I tell you? A few little thoughts, and I'm going to close. May I close after this? Here's lessons I learned about my spiritual life during those many hours of marathoning. We need to get training. <laughs> if we're going to persevere, if we're going to finish this race, don't do stupid stuff like I did. We need training. We need, we need to get trained. Use college as the greatest time in life to get it. Secondly, we need a steady diet of spiritual food and drink. You tell me you're going to run 26 miles on a cup of coffee to donut? I don't think so. I just, I mean, I mean, when I got through that race, I just started eating, I eating, eating. My stomach was so big. I remember, and for weeks, I could not get enough food in me. Still with me today. <laughs> now I've been working on this body for a long time so number three there are tremendous trials and stresses in this Christian life isn't it and am I going to persevere through them or not or am I going to let them knock me out of the race or not am I going to finish or am I not going to finish you know one of the and this is terrible but you know one of the reasons I finished that race is I knew there was a girl this is terrible girls I, there was a girl I knew that passed me 
and I was determined I was not going to let this girl beat me in the race. Sheer pride helped me finish this, this race. Can you believe that? Isn't that terrible? Male pride is just evil, isn't it? Tremendous trials and stresses in the Christian life. Four, to never, ever give up. Boy, did I want to give up like crazy. And finally, how we finish our Christian life is really more important than how we started it. It really is, friends. So these building blocks, they're essential, aren't they? This is what your foundation is made of. This has to be the main floor for you. Not just what you believe, but what you do. These are convictions, aren't they? So who is your spiritual leader? At this conference, go over the blocks with them. Ask them which blocks is your strongest, which is your weakest. What if you developed a plan in some of these areas, a specific plan in one or two of these areas to go back and really start to develop it? Wouldn't that be good? Let me pray for us. Thank you for letting me share tonight. I think I get to come back again later after dinner. Is that right? (laughs) I'll have to retract everything I just said. No, 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 no. Let's pray. Lord, uh, life is a marathon. And we dare not run it without you. We dare not run it really without you running it in us and through us. This foundation we're talking about, Lord, these building blocks, we feel so weak in some of these. Lord, how do we grow in some of these areas? How do we strengthen these blocks? How do we strengthen this foundation? How does it last a lifetime that when we're 30 and 40 and 50 and 60 and 70, we won't be crumbling that it'll stay strong and persevere to the end Lord I pray that every single person here would use their college years to the max that their highest priority would be to build a deep and abiding foundation in you and that that would last them for a lifetime I pray these talks would you would use them in our hearts our lives our minds Change us. Please change us, Jesus. Change change me. I desperately need it as well. We do pray in your precious name. Amen.